Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Monday morning to each and every one of you. Great to be back in the saddle. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can follow us a number of different ways here on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We also stream daily on Facebook via the Chatterbox Sports page and in podcast form. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Gentlemen, Casey, Paulie, how are we looking, man? How's everything? Casey? We're looking good, Tom. We're looking really good. Got a lot of first place teams here in Cincinnati. Got a lot first of thing you teams. were talking about when you walked in the door this morning, Casey, it's a great day to be a, a greater Cincinnatian. Got no better time than right now. <laughs> no better time. I mean, and you're talking about FC Cincinnati. We'll yep. get to them in a minute. Off to a great start this year, right? You got the Red Legs. We're going to talk about them a lot. Two out of three over the weekend. And your Cincinnati Cyclones. Hottest team in professional hockey. It's true. And they're in first place. All three professional teams here in the city in first place. My son laughed at me yesterday when he turned on two days ago, whatever it was. The Rangers were playing who Boston, two of the best teams yep. in the NHL, were oh, playing. Oh, yeah. Game went to overtime or something. And I said, hey, man, you want great hockey? Just go right down to Heritage Bank Arena. <laughs> Hottest team on the planet. Right? That's right. I want to hear all about your opening day experience. All of you went down there from Chatterbox Sports. Right? Yep. Beautiful day. Tell me a little bit about a case. You're becoming a baseball guy. As Jerry Naren, you say, you're a baseball guy. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, you know, I, I think I'd never been in the outfield before watching a baseball game for one. I didn't even mention that when we, we last talked about it. And that was, honestly, that was a really cool experience, being in the outfield. Um, the very first uh, fly ball, I was like, oh, that's gone. It wasn't really close. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was a good atmosphere. There was this one lady that um, came through our tunnel dressed in, like, this weird witch's cloak. And then she, like, got on her hands and knees and, like, started doing this weird prayer ritual. And then she just <laughs> booked it out of there. Was she Dominican? <laughs> Was she Haitian? A voodoo? Uh, I have no idea. She was all cloaked. She was all masked up and everything. Really? Yeah. The weirdest thing I've ever seen. And as soon as she did that, it cursed the team. At oh. least for that game. Because then they ended she up. She cursed or took off a curse? Oh, that. I, I mean, if at I were. At what point in this game they, did they, they, they Is this a Reds fan? I don't know. Oh, you don't know. Okay. I don't know. All right. Okay. She's all in black. It was, it was very, hallucinating. Very, no, no. You can ask Trace and, and John and and Kirby. He saw it too, I'm pretty sure. But anyways, besides that, the game was really fun. Uh, it really came down right to the end, if you ask me. And we had a really, the red sparlay. Yeah. It, that came down right to the end too. That well, was, the, the best part was that we had the Reds to win. And then we also had Jake Fraley to hit a home run. And he came up. With Jonathan India on second base with two outs in the ninth inning, down by one. And I'm sitting there going, man, 
he hits a walk-off home run here. We're going to make a little coin, and we're going to be happy that the Reds won. Nope. I think I told looking. you guys a story a few weeks ago when uh, I went down to visit some uh, friends of mine from the Diamondbacks who I worked with, and they were in town last summer. I may have shared this story already. If I did, just tell me to shut up. Um, but these guys are young guys. I'm sitting there, and the game goes in a rain delay in the eighth inning, and I'm sitting there at the Holy Grail across the street, right? And I'm waiting on them to come over and have a beer. Well, now a rain delay in the eighth inning. Mm. And you're just like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm sitting there, sitting there, start talking to a bunch of college guys, UC students. And they've got money, a parlay of three guys in Major League Baseball to hit a home run during the games that night. Well, I'm sitting next to this one guy, two of the guys had already hit a home run. Uh And the third guy he's betting on was Tyler Stevenson. They sit through a 45-minute rain delay. Back they come. The first batter up, I'm sitting next to the dude. First batter up is Tyler Stevenson. Bye-bye. Home run. This guy won like $4,000, something stupid. That's crazy. Yeah, it was insane. Prop bets. Prop bets. That's my favorite. I'd love to hit one home run. One home run, like on a bet. One guy to hit a home run. Much less three in the same bet. Yeah. It was a good day on Thursday, though, Tom. It was great weather. Right. Uh, it, was, it was a fun game. I know the Reds lost, but it was a fun game. It was a close game. It, uh, and what I was saying to these guys the other day, we were talking about the pitch clock, was that it felt like a quick game. The middle innings got pretty slow, uh, but it, it felt like a quick game overall. And then we look at the, look at the clock, it was right at three hours, so... I know you have some more things you want to talk about with the pitch, uh, pitch clock as the show goes on, but we've already seen it through just the first weekend of, of, uh, of the season. Well, somebody put up on Twitter last night that the last five seasons, and it's ranged anywhere over the last five years from average time of game, anywhere from 304 to 312. It was either 223 or 233 was the average time of game for all the games played the opening weekend. That is mind-boggling. That's the way it used to be. And I'm not sitting here sounding like an old man or, you know, whatever. That's the way it was not all that long ago. And it made baseball a very appealing game. Um, But now all of a sudden these drags, the last number of years dragging on and on and on and on. Props to um, the powers that be at Major League Baseball for these new rules. Uh, we've seen an occasional pitch clock violation, that kind of thing, but it's rare uh, through the first weekend. And we're going to get to some of the comments made by Rob Manfred. I said to my wife, I said, you know what? It's the first time in my life I feel like I've been right about something, anything. I was saying seven years ago that sabermetrics were the ruination of Major League Baseball years ago. I don't know if you saw the story that Rob Manfred shared at an event on Saturday. So he says he gets a phone call from an owner of a Major League Baseball team. He would not name that owner. A very well-known owner. Wouldn't say who it was. Says the owner calls him up on the phone and says, you know what? He says, here we've been the last number of years doing all this analytics stuff. He said, we've hired 40 people to work in our baseball analytics department. He said, I've never taken the time to actually go down there 
and see what the hell is going on down there. What is this all about? He says, so, I took three days last week. This is the owner of the team. He says he goes down in this area. He had never been in this area. It's this big, huge, open space. Owner acknowledged a bunch of really smart young people, young men and women, 40 of them in there. And the guy says to him, he says, we've added 45 jobs to this place. He said, and at the end of the day, I could not tell you if we've won two games total because of all of this stuff. And the owner made the comment. He says, the analytics, this is his quote, the analytics, and Rob Manfred shared this quote, said that it's an arms race to nowhere. And it led to these games becoming boring. No action. Three and a half hours long. I mean, can you imagine that opening day game that was 302, 303, something like that? Can you imagine that a year ago without a pitch clock? That's a 4-10 game. Easily. Four hours and 10 minutes. 302, 303, if that feels long, or if that is long now, God bless him for baseball taking I don't say a lot of great things about Rod Manford around here, but I'll tell you what. When it comes to these rules changes, it is going to change the game. It's going to change the scouting of the game. It's going to change the way you uh, go out and sign players, what kind of players. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with information and having some of that, right? Like I was talking to my dad last night. We had dinner together celebrating Luke's 18th birthday. And happy birthday, Lukey, man. I love you. But we're talking about how, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you're getting more action without the shift. You're getting base hits. You're getting guys running. You're getting action moving. You've got a lot of things that are happening in the sport that, that one year ago, none of this was happening. And I got to believe it's going to pay off huge for Major League Baseball and its future. All right. We start with a local nine. After a loss to those Pirates on opening day, the Reds responded with a 6-2 win on Saturday. Now lefty Nick Lodolo. This is another very positive development. He did not look great. He allowed nine base runners through 109 pitches in five innings. But a lot of times with a young pitcher like you saw with Hunter Green in the opener. With a young pitcher, nine base runners, 109 pitches in five innings. Normally that line, the pitcher would have given up four or five runs. Nope, Lodolo gives up two, and he gets a win. Jake Fraley, the guy you were counting on hitting a home run opening day, clubbed a three-run pinch hit home run. Former Pirate Kevin Newman hit a two-run homer to beat Rich Hill. Then came the rubber game yesterday, and what about Graham Ashcraft? Sensational. Goes seven innings of one-run baseball, strikes out six, walks only one, threw fewer than 100 pitches in the seven innings. And the Reds made it a winning series, 3-1 the final yesterday. The Reds did not win their first series of the year in 2022 until the second week of May. Now, the competition gets a little better tonight, at least theoretically gets better tonight. Because Reed Mouse's Chicago Cubs, I'm not buying them. Some might, right? That's a 640 game. Reed Mouse is going to the game, by the way. Big Cub fan. Connor Overton gets a start for Cincinnati. Cubbies lost two of three over the weekend to the Brewers. And our good friend, Mr. Chicago Sports, lover of all things that are Cubbies, David Kaplan, 
will join us at 11.15 for a preview of the Chicago Cubs. Cardinals ace Jack Flaherty, who missed almost all of last season with a shoulder injury, threw five no-hit innings against Toronto Saturday. He did walk seven batters, and he hit a batter. Cardinals won two or three over the Jays over the weekend. Dodgers' Trace Thompson made his first start Saturday night, and what a start. Three home runs, drove in eight. Dodgers over Arizona 10-1. Thompson is the first player to drive in eight runs in a season debut since the RBI became an official stat back in 1920. All right, tonight, college basketball, the national championship game down in Houston, Texas. Surprising San Diego State after shocking, what a killer shot it was, over Florida Atlantic in Saturday's semi, last second by Lamont Butler. The Aztecs erased a 14-point second-half deficit. Their only lead was the game-ending shot. In the other semifinal, no contest. UConn is blowing through everybody. Steamrolled Miami 72-59. The Huskies have won their five games in the tournament by an average of 19 points per game. Tonight's tip-off, it's too late. 9-20. Too late. Too late. I get it while they're doing it, especially with a West Coast team in the finals. 6-20 out there. Too late. The Women's National Championship game featured two programs that had never been to the title game, Iowa and LSU. This turned into an NBA All-Star game with a scoring. It was unbelievable. LSU shot 34% on the year from three. And everything LSU threw up there from three, it went in. 102-85, the final, the highest scoring game in women's tournament history. Iowa's Caitlin Clark scored 30 after back-to-back 41-point games. She sets the all-time record for most points and assists in a women's NCAA tournament. Other basketball news, Paulie. Your guy, Colby Jones. Yeah. Bye-bye. Declares for the NBA draft. Will pass up his final year of eligibility at Xavier. He did pen a very classy thank you to Travis Steele. Very classy. The guy who recruited him, Sean Miller, his teammates, the staff, everyone at X, all the fans on the way out the door. Now, opinions do vary on his future at the next level, Paulie. Your thoughts, if any? I mean, I think he's, he's going to be a first-rounder by every projection that we've seen so far. He's going to be a first-rounder. I think his skills really translate to the next level. You think back to guys that – were very good at Xavier recently, whose skills maybe didn't translate to the next level. If you think back to the guys like Trayvon Blewett, I mean, J.P. McCure is having a great overseas career, but some of those guys, um, you know, it, it's just now become a situation where you have all these really, really good college players, and some of the, some of their skills translate to the NBA, some of them don't. Najee Marshall actually is having a fantastic year down there for New Orleans, uh, if you want to talk about recent Xavier guys playing in the NBA. But I think that Colby is going to – I think his skills and his skill set really tend to make me think he's going to have a, a pretty good or at least a long NBA career. I think he's somebody that can stick around for a while. Um, you know, hasn't really ever had injury issues too too much, too significant. Um, and he's just – he's a versatile scorer. He's a good defender. A lot of things that translate to the next level. Okay. 
Well, we wish him well. Uh, I, I was really impressed by that. Uh, I mean, you know the kid. I mean, maybe you aren't uh, surprised by his his. Uh, no, I wasn't. What he wrote, Birmingham, I, Alabama. He's from, right? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he just came right out and said that he was not retaining his college eligibility mm-hmm. because now you can declare for the draft and still come back. Yep. And he hasn't declared for the draft before, so I, I did think that maybe he would declare get an evaluation, and then come back next year if maybe he didn't hear exactly what he wanted to hear. But the fact he's not coming back, I I had no expectation really of him coming back, so it is what it is. Okay. Uh, Friday, it was announced, I think, during the show, I don't know if you guys got to it, about Darren Horn. He got a big contract extension uh, after leading NKU to the NCAA tournament this season. We're very excited for him. The new deal makes him the highest-paid coach in the Horizon League. Did you see the comments made by Bob Huggins over the weekend from the Final Four? He said he feels sorry. And he didn't say it in a mean way. He just said he feels sorry for UC and the three other teams that are about to join the Big 12 Conference next year, specifically in basketball. Huggins said it's the best league he's ever played in, ever coached in, When you look at the coaches, the players, the teams, the fan support, he says is off the charts. He says, not only do you play these teams once, you play them twice. And he said that these schools have no idea what they are in for starting next year. And I don't even think it just goes for basketball either. I mean, I think the Big 12 proved that they're a really good football program too. Yep. I mean – this is not a, a a a conference that you can take lightly in any sport. No, not for the meek. No. Although the meek, they say, shall inherit the earth. So maybe that's good news for Huggy or for UC this year. We got to talk soccer. We Absolutely. have to. FC Cincinnati, by all accounts, including their head coach, they weren't great, but they were good enough. To beat Miami 1-0 at TQL Stadium Saturday night. Let's put this into perspective for a second, okay? A year ago through six, not games, through six matches. (laughs) We are getting all the jargon down here on off the bench. A year ago through six matches. FC had allowed 14 goals, did not record a single shutout. Through six matches this year allowing a total of four goals, posting four shutouts in six games. Now, next up, regular season albeit, huge game, a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference semifinal. That's against Philadelphia. And FC, Casey McAllister, sits atop the conference through the first month and a half of the season. Did you watch it, yay or nay? I did watch it. Um and uh, Pat Noonan, he said... The head coach. He, the head coach, I'm sorry. For it's all me. learning for all yeah. of us. Thank for you. Any of you guys that don't know, Pat Noonan did a uh, post-interview with the pundits of the MLS. And he said it the best way that anyone could really describe how they played. And it was poor. They played really bad. And they still managed to find a way to win the game. And that sometimes is all that matters is... Are you a winning team? And I think that's what ML, that's what 
FC missed last season was they just couldn't learn how to win games. They were drawing a lot. Um, they made enough wins, obviously, to get far into the into their uh, playoff tournament. But being able to squeak away with the win when you play that badly, and, I mean, they only had, like, 35% possession. I mean, it was bad. But they had enough shots on goal. They The goal that they did score, it was really just a great transition. It was just really heads-up play. Um so, I mean, FC right now, they sit first in the Eastern Conference. They play Philadelphia. I think right now I'm looking at the standings, and Philadelphia is eighth in the Eastern Conference. I'm not exactly sure where they've struggled at, but it looks like when they play away, they've really struggled. So, um, I can't remember. Is this game at home? Yes, it is. Yeah, so FC, FC plays six of the next – well, now it's five of the next seven. After the other night going into the game, it was six of the next eight at home. And apparently this is a huge stretch for FC Cincinnati. Hey, before uh, – our buddy Aaron Freeman just wrote back on okay. an email or a text right on Twitter. Yep. Uh, he's going to join us at 1030. Gotcha. So I asked him to send his email so we can send the link. Uh, if you're wondering, we'll get to this here in a second. Lastly, want to mention in our headlines here, the Masters begins this week in Augusta, Georgia. Tiger Woods is already there on the prowl, getting ready. But there's a lot of intrigue here as players from the Live Tour can compete against their PGA brethren. Is that the right word? They would like to think so. Who would? The, the Live, Live guys? The Live guys. Yeah. They're the ones that are walking around in their practice rounds with cash falling out of their pockets. But, I mean, is there going to be some drama here? Some blow-up between players? Been a lot of nasty stuff. It's one thing to say it when you're a 1,000 miles away, Rory McIlroy. It's another thing to say it to, let's say, Kepka's face. Think Rory wants to tangle with Brooks Kepka? No. <laughs> no chance. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. We shall see beginning on Thursday. All right, you're wondering, what are we talking about here and what's going on? All right, here's the deal. What we're going to do is, um, Casey and Paul and I and Trace Fowler, with the draft coming up in a little more than a month, we are going to start to walk through team by team. Okay, and we're going to call it, where have you been? Where are you now? And where are you going? What does all mean? We're going to find somebody from that follows, you know, any particular team. Today we're going to start with the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, we're going to find out where have they been. Last year we saw the Falcons. Bengals boat raced them here. They didn't make the playoffs. Where are you now? At least right now, Des Ritter is their quarterback. They've been very busy in free agency. And where are you going? What are they thinking about? with the draft and some other free agent pieces, right? So we're going to try to cover every team. We're going to do our best to cover every team in the NFL leading up to the draft. So we were thinking about initially doing it in draft order, but then I think Trace or, or maybe Casey, you pointed out that if we do it that way, we're going to be talking about the same handful of players Right out of the gate, right? Yeah. I mean, Stroud and, you know, uh, 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 
Bryce Young and, you know, and now all of a sudden Anthony Richardson and all these kind of guys. So we just figured we would do it or, or, or try our best to do it um, division by division. Now, it's not going to work out perfectly here. But today we're going to start with the Atlanta Falcons and a young man named Aaron Freeman who uh, covers the Falcons uh, nonstop. Uh, he calls himself the Falcons Prophet, host of Locked On Falcons podcast, writes occasionally for the Falcoholic. Um, and he says, yeah, it is a great nickname. That's a great name. Well, if you watch the Falcons long enough, you turn into an alcoholic. <laughs> At least the last couple of years. But the Falcons are truly a sneaky team this year, if you ask me. I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. Are the Falcons your Lions? From last year, I, yeah. they might be. They might get. They might get to that point. It they just, might get that treatment. Might. It just depends on Desmond Ritter, because I feel like they've done enough defensively. Like they've got Clayus Campbell now. They got Jesse Bates, a guy that we all know. Um, they went out and got uh, some really good linebackers, some depth guys that a lot of people don't know about, um, and they have that number nine overall pick. And you can get a guy. You could get the first corner out of this draft at number nine. That's just the way the draft is falling right now. Um, so I'm just really excited to hear what he has to say about this team because I think, you know, they've got the they've got the makings of being a very good team. I think they just need one thing to really happen, some really very high development from Des Ritter, and they, they could be a sky-the-limit sort of team. And there's Especially still all that talk South. out there about um, about Lamar. Lamar. Yeah, Lamar would fit perfectly in this in this team in the, the scheme. They they're a very run heavy team. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm very excited to to hear what he has to say. So then uh, we can all be on the Falcons together. Because if you were sitting there last year and you listened to us talk about the Lions, me and Trace, I mean, the win the total win wins on the season for them you would have hit that easily i think they were like at six or something like that so i don't know well you were all over the falcons casey mcallister i mean the uh, lions from the get-go last year yeah and i picked them to make the playoffs and they almost did yeah and i'm on them this upcoming season too i think them even more so than the falcons i think more people realize that the lions are pretty good this year but they got two first-round picks at really high picks. I think it's like 6 and 15 or 16 or something like that. And they didn't really lose anybody. I think Jared Goff has shown that he can at least get you to the Super Bowl. He might not be a game-changing quarterback, yep. but when you've got a, a super talented team like the Lions do have and they will continue to add talent, I think uh, I think they, they might be underrated. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Cam and Eggers take it away, and then we're going to be joined to learn more about the Atlanta Falcons right after this okay. timeout. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. What are the chances we talk about? the Bengals today I would say 70 percent oh we're gonna talk about them I don't think we're gonna talk about them at, at 
nauseum as we have in the past because, you know. So are we making it the Bearcats report since we talked about Huggy? Let's make it the Bearcats report. All right, you know what? It's the Bearcats report, and it's brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That's right, Casey. Did I get you there? No, I, Did I get I, you there a little bit? Oh, we got, we got Aaron joining in yeah. here, so that's why. Visit Encore.tech, the path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. You can see it right here in front of me. It is Pawnee. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, get your technology solutions from Encore, and bet with Betfred. Those are our presenting sponsors of Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. And we will be joined here shortly by Aaron Freeman, Locked On Falcons, and all that to talk NFL. Casey, any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, no, I can take that off. Uh, <clears throat> The one thing that we kind of brushed over, and I think we're going to talk about it maybe a little bit more, um, that championship game for LSU last night and, and for, for them to come away with the win. I mean, I don't think that – I don't think if anyone that truly watched that game felt like they didn't deserve to win. They were, they were hitting their shots. The women's game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they yeah, they yeah. deserved to win that game. I was just disappointed in everyone complaining about – the sportsmanship and I, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if any of our fans necessarily care, but all over Twitter, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, like, don't, isn't that what we want? We want that smack talk. We want the, you it's, know, the, 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 the celebration and all the, the talk like that's, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Did honestly. you see the uh, the uh, the tweet on that sent out by Dave Portnoy? We do have Aaron in here, by the way. Okay, well, let's, let's get to Aaron. We'll get to all this a little bit later on because I do want to pick this back up because um, anyway. All right. All right. So we're playing now, and we thank on such short notice uh, Aaron Freeman. We mentioned Falcons profit. Now, that's big league language right there now. I mean, the Falcons profit. Host of Locked On Falcons podcast, writes occasionally, one of the great nicknames we were talking before you got here, Aaron Freeman, of the Falcoholic. Before we go any further, though, you say you are a Pitt alum. We don't like much about Pittsburgh here in Cincinnati. Are you a Pittsburgh guy? I Look, I lived there for four years when I went to college. Uh, definitely support the school and the football program. You know, the basketball team has been up and down the last couple of years, but this year that, you know, things yep. finished pretty strong. So I think I'm going to get right back on that bandwagon for pit basketball. Aaron, you look, did you play football there? You look like you, you, you're you built like a football player. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a large human. Uh, so I uh, did not play football at pit, but uh, yeah, definitely have had multiple people make that mistake before. 
All right, all right, all right. Well, we thank you for joining us here today, and uh, the great-looking setup you got there. I mean, you got the Falcons parking pass here. You got pictures of the dome, the whole nine yards. Hey, we're walking through, uh, starting with you. You're our inaugural guest here, and we appreciate your time. Uh, looking at each team in the National Football League, a little more than a, a month out in the draft, and, and we asked three questions. So I'm going to take one of them at a time, if you don't mind. Where have you been, where are you now, and where are you going? Falcons last year finished up 7-10. and 10. They won their last two games of the season after going, I think, through an 11-game stretch where they lost eight out of the 11 games. It took them out of playoff contention in a, in a down NFC South. You look back on last year, and if you're a Falcons fan, what can you take away on a positive note? And what do you take away saying, man, uh, this was not good? I think the positives you take is the young core that the Falcons are building. I think several of their 2022 draft picks, uh, including quarterback Desmond Ritter, wide receiver Drake London, running back Tyler Algier, finished the season relatively strong on offense. And I think the Falcons look at that as something that they can build around for the future. They're getting a healthy Kyle Pitts back. Uh, after he missed the better half of the, the second half of the season. So I, I think the Falcons like their young core uh, based off of where they finished last year. And they're, they're putting a lot of confidence in that young core, making a big jump uh, in year two for those 2022 draft picks, as well as Kyle Pitts now in year three uh, moving forward. So I, I think the Falcons are in a good spot from where they finished in 2021. I think, the area that was probably the biggest question mark for them last season was their defense. And they went into this offseason and went uh, pretty aggressively trying to attack some of their needs there, going out there and getting safety Jesse Bates, linebacker Caden Ellis from the Saints, David Anyamata, the D tackle from the Saints, as well as Calais Campbell from the Baltimore Ravens. So I think the Falcons feel like they're in a good spot elevating that defense and have a young core and offense to build around. Okay, uh, last year the team starts with Marcus Mariota as a quarterback. Uh, and, you know, hey, look, early in the season, uh, you know, there were signs that this guy was playing uh, up to the billing as a former number one pick and all those kinds of things. But then as the season went on and whether it was, uh, you know, ineffective play, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Let's zero in on Desmond Ritter because we have a soft spot in our heart for that young man here. He was an incredible leader, an incredible player, an incredible guy uh, on and off the field uh, here at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, you can make an argument that, that he is the greatest, uh, well, he's the greatest winner in the history of the University of Cincinnati as a quarterback is concerned. What are the thoughts on Ritter? Before we get into some of the other noise out there with Lamar Jackson and so forth, how does the organization, the fan base, everybody feel about him being a starting quarterback potentially for this upcoming season? Well, the organization since the end of the season has been pretty praising of, of Desmond Ritter and looking at some of the things that he did in the second half or in the last four games of the season as a positive. And I think a lot of people, you mentioned Marcus Mariota starting and then kind of fading towards the end that led to Ritter getting that promotion. And a lot of people looked at last season as uh, why were the Falcons waiting so long uh, to plug Desmond Ritter? If they really like Desmond Ritter, how come he couldn't beat out Marcus Mariota for the better part 
of last season with Mariota starting the first 13 games. And I think a lot of that is owed to something that happened with the Falcons the previous year where they had a pair of rookies in a second-round safety, Richie Grant, and a third-round guard, Jalen Mayfield. And Mayfield was a player that the Falcons kind of threw to the Wolves right away as a starter, and he wasn't ready, and he really struggled in 2021. And Richie Grant was a player that the Falcons were kind of slow playing it uh, he did get some work in the second half of the season playing in their nickel sub package as a cornerback. Uh, and then you saw him make a big jump in year two. And I think the Falcons learned a lesson from that in not wanting to throw a young player out too early before they were 100% confident that they were ready to play. And I think that led to the delay on Desmond Ritter getting some action. Um, but I think the Falcons feel like with Ritter and some of the things that he showed, especially in those final two games, uh, beating the the Arizona Cardinals and, and beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week 17 and week 18, I think the Falcons feel a lot better going forward with Desmond Ritter being the starter, having a full offseason, getting to work with the starter, something that he did not necessarily do last year, sitting behind Mariota for most of the summer. And um, I think the Falcons feel really good about, you know, the character, the leadership, all the things that Desmond Ritter showed at Cincinnati for four years that led that program to, you know, one of the heights of of that uh, program with, sure. you know, making the playoffs uh, that final year. I think the Falcons feel pretty confident that that will translate for Desmond Ritter for the Atlanta Falcons. Talk to me a little bit about um, the head coach, Arthur Smith. I, I find him to be an interesting guy, if for no other reason that it is rare to see a former offensive lineman uh, as an NFL head coach. You just don't see that much anymore, even though you talk to most people uh, around football for years and years and years, and, and most will tell you they believe the smartest players on any given team, college, pro, whatever it might be, uh, outside of the quarterback, would be members of the offensive line. Um, he was with Mike Vrabel down there in Tennessee. Uh, this will be his third year coming up. I think his record's 14-20. and 20. Um, How do you feel about him as a head coach so far? Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's an off a former offensive lineman just because he's kind of a no-nonsense it, the sort of identity of the Falcons football is, is physicality, winning in the, along the line of scrimmage. And so he kind of takes pride on the Falcons being a tough physical football team. And, and that's something that, you know, is sort of born and bred in offensive linemen, given that they have to play every snap through injuries and are basically constantly, you know, getting into scraps every single down. And that bears out with the identity of the Atlanta Falcons, given their uh, dominant run game that they had a year ago, helmed by Tyler Ajer, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I, I think, you know, the thing with Arthur Smith, he, he can come off a little prickly uh, to some folks when, when it comes to, you know, having that sort of no nonsense approach, but he also has a, a great sense of humor. So, you know, it's just one of those things with the media that if you ask him the right question, he can be very engaging uh, and, and entertaining in a lot of ways. But if you ask him the wrong questions, he, he doesn't necessarily have some of the patience for, for some of those questions. Okay. Um, you were talking about Des Ritter. Uh, there's still a lot of noise out there. And tell me, you know, what level you think it's noise, uh, what level you think there might be something to it. Lamar Jackson. I think it's mostly noise at this point. I think with Lamar Jackson, one of the bizarre stories of the season, of the offseason yep. has been how very little interest there has been with Lamar Jackson. And for obvious reasons, I think the Falcons made a ton of sense 
uh, going into the offseason as a potential destination for him. I thought, you know, the Falcons would definitely explore that from what we've heard from Arthur Smith, that the Falcons have had conversations about it, but they never really ventured down that road uh, too deeply. And, you know, you look at the scheme fit that Lamar Jackson has coming from that Baltimore offense to how some of the ways that uh, Arthur Smith was able to use Marcus Mariota and some of the young pieces that we talked about earlier uh, that the Falcons have. It, it would make sense for the Atlanta Falcons to bring in someone like Lamar Jackson. Certainly he would be a huge draw uh, for the home crowd, uh, something that the Falcons necessarily haven't had the last couple of seasons. Uh, and, you know, goes back to the days of Michael Vick here in Atlanta. So it totally makes sense why so many people thought the Falcons would be sort of the front runners to pursue Lamar Jackson. But we've basically seen from a number of NFL teams, not just the Atlanta Falcons, that there isn't a ton of interest in Lamar Jackson. And I think a lot of it stems from ownership in the NFL, not necessarily wanting another sort of big time fully guaranteed contract based off of all the reports that indicate that's what Lamar Jackson has been seeking from the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that's kind of cooled the market a lot on Lamar Jackson, even though I think everybody acknowledges that he's a really good football player. Uh, I think there's reluctance to pay him the type of premium that is reportedly out there for him. And I think it doesn't help that we haven't really seen Lamar Jackson play meaningful football late in the season the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also scaring off teams that if they're going to pay that huge premium, they want to, you know, bet that money on someone that they are a lot more confident at this point can, you know, play meaningful football in January and potentially in the February. And we just ha haven't seen that with Lamar the last couple of years. And I think for a lot of NFL teams, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that's been cooling the market for Jackson. Um, you know, uh, help, help me here now, Aaron, real quick, because, you know, when, when, we don't follow the Falcons regularly. The Bengals did play the Falcons here last year, but that was, you know, one game in, one game out, off you go. And, you know, Falcons worry about who they worry about. Bengals worry about who they worry about. Um, when I look at the moves that you brought up earlier, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball that have been made by this franchise, I mean, they're paying veteran players a lot of money. Uh, and you're expecting those guys to step in here, play well, provide leadership to a young team right away. Most of the time when you see teams do that, you're looking at a team that is trying to win right now. Yet you and I both know when you're asking a guy to be a full-time starter at the most posi important position on the field at quarterback, and it's only his second year in the league, and for all intents and purposes, he's a rookie, I don't know what the expectation level would be to try and win. Is it a little baffling to you about the way they're spending money in one regard, but yet they're going to put it all on a young quarterback to try and win and win now? Or is that, am I missing something? No, I understand why you sort of see that as a little bit incongruent. I think it's really about raising the floor for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Falcons aren't that far removed from a season back in 2021, where a lot of people were baffled by how the fact that the Falcons were able to win seven games when sort of a lot of people observed this team to not necessarily have one of the more talented rosters and one of the least talented rosters in the NFL. And I think for the Falcons, that money that they're spending is to try to, you know, correct that issue, that no one's going to look at this Falcons roster any longer as one of the weaker units in the league. But I think at the same time, the Falcons aren't necessarily in that sort of let's win it all right now. Um, obviously the NFC South is a division for the taking. The NFC is not necessarily as strong a conference 
as you know the Bengals play in in the AFC, particularly when you look at the quarterback position. So you could see a, a team like the Atlanta Falcons, and I think this is goes back to the Lamar Jackson conversation. Why a lot of people are baffled by why is no one pursuing Lamar Jackson because that would be an absolute home run in the NFC given this current state of that conference. But I think the Falcons having most recently been in sort of cap nightmare, you know, with paying up a premium to their quarterback position with Matt Ryan, aren't necessarily willing to jump headlong in that. And I think because of that confidence that this team has internally in Desmond Ritter, which is clearly much more than I think what a lot of outside observers seem to have in, in Ritter moving forward as a starter. I think the Falcons feel like this is not as incongruent a, a, a bet going with a young quarterback on offense and having a veteran laden defense. I think they really do believe that that is uh, more than enough for them to compete in the division and potentially uh, at the higher levels of the NFC with uh, time and development. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the one thing. And, I, and I've always said all the years that I used to broadcast and did a, tumber, a ton of NFC South games, division games, it may not always be the best division uh, in the NFC or the NFL for that matter, but the games are unbelievably competitive in that division. I mean, it's one of the more exciting divisions just to watch divisional matchups. But let's face it, all of a sudden now there are a lot of questions. They're going to be young quarterbacks. Uh, looks like maybe C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young coming into the division. Uh, you have Baker Mayfield taking over, you know, down in Tampa Bay, who, you know, look, uh, a lot of people around here in Cincinnati like the bad-mouthed guy, but he led the, the Browns to the playoffs and won a playoff game. It's all I know, and he played pretty well with the Rams last year. But it's not a division where you've got one or two juggernauts uh, that you're trying to play catch-up with. All right, now that takes us to the, the draft. So this is now where you're going. Eighth pick in the draft, I think it is, right? So w w what are you thinking they do? I mean, do they consider making a trade? Do you think they stay right there at eight? If they stay at eight, wh what do you think they're looking to do with that pick? I think they're going to be looking to take the best defensive player available at that eighth overall selection. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk about the Falcons potentially trading up for a quarterback. As I said, I think, again, that's sort of outside observers looking at the Falcons quarterback situation and not necessarily uh, loving Desmond Ritter as much as the Falcons. I think the Falcons are more than content to stay there uh, and just take the best defensive player available to continue that defensive re rebuild and add some more talented young pieces on that side of the ball. And, you know, whether it's going to be a local product like Georgia's Jalen Carter, if he slides a little bit in the draft, or Texas Tech's Tyree Wilson, the other pass rusher, or, you know, another addition to the secondary where they could use another young corner opposite A.J. Terrell, one of their up-and-coming defensive stars behind uh, Casey Hayward, uh, an aging veteran uh, cornerback, someone like Oregon. Christian Gonzalez makes a ton of sense for the Atlanta Falcons. So I think they're going to probably stay put at eight, take the best defensive player available. They might um, contemplate a trade back if one of the top four quarterbacks falls to that point and, and maybe a team picking behind them, a team like Tennessee or uh, Washington or somebody like that is looking to move up in the draft and the Falcons can put themselves, move back, still be able to get a good defensive player, maybe add early round picks in 2024. Uh, that is going to be very enticing option for them, especially uh, even though they're the confident Desmond Ritter, you, you do want to potentially set yourself up for, you know, future success. If you want to potentially make a change at the quarterback position a year from now, having that additional 
ammunition in the draft in 2024 totally makes sense. So I, I think the Falcons will probably stay put, take the best defensive player available. But if there is going to be a trade involving that eighth overall selection, it'll probably be more likely to be the Falcons moving back than necessarily moving up. All right, last two things I want to ask you about. And we appreciate your time. Um, speaking of Carter, uh, everybody knows the, the, the whole situation with, you know, the, the, the tragedy that took place where a couple of young people involved with the Georgia football program lost their lives. Uh, it's a very sad thing, uh, tragically sad, heartbreaking. Uh, then all of a sudden, you know, people said he had put on weight uh, by the time of the end of the regular season or the end of the national championship season to uh, all of a sudden his pro day and his workout day what's a word on Carter? I mean, are, are these legitimate questions as to, you know, this was a guy a lot of people were saying might be the first pick in the draft two months ago. Yeah, I think that's the thing that NFL teams have to wrap their their minds around. They have to really dig deep on, on the person that they're getting with Jalen Carter, um, you know, made some very questionable decisions uh, on that fateful night back in January. And the, I think the main concern that NFL teams have, given that you're going to have a lot more time on your own, on your hands in the NFL, you're going to have a lot more money to spend. You know, if, if this is a one bad night uh, of mistakes that Jalen Carter make, or is this a pattern of behavior that he, you know, with greater resources and assets that he may have as a professional football player, will you see this as a series of mistakes? And that's something that NFL teams are going to have to decide on their own. Um, I think what we've learned in the past when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, character concerns in NFL teams, the NFL teams will basically look away, uh, you know, sort of turn the other cheek when it comes to that stuff. Uh, when it comes to character concerns, if you are a talented enough player. Mm -hmm. And I think in the case of Jalen Carter, he is one of those rare players that is talented enough that NFL teams will be willing to bet on the, the player on the field as opposed to worrying about the player off the field. How that affects his draft stock remains to be seen. I still expect him to be a top 10 pick, but it could work that some teams are a little bit more worried about it than before. And, and being, as you said, the guy that was potentially the first non-quarterback off the board at the very early parts of the draft, you know, do we see, you know, three, four, five other guys that are non-quarterbacks come off the board earlier than Jalen Carter. And that puts him in a position to slide a little bit on draft night. Well, Aaron, we cannot thank you enough for your time, young man, especially on such short notice. Uh, obviously, you're on your game down there for those of, uh, that want to check him out. Uh, host of uh, at Locked On Falcons podcast. You write occasionally for the Falcoholic. So I'm sure you're going to be very busy here, young man, over the next uh, month and a half, two months covering Falcons football. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Aaron Freeman, kind enough to join us. Great having him. And that's the way we start our draft coverage. Right here on Off the Bench. Now, that is a rock-solid opening guest right there. That dude's on his game. Absolutely. I mean, we've really struck gold with a lot of these locked-on guests. So, uh, yeah, he was very good. He was Covered great. Covered all the bases. I Especially mean, he, Des Ritter. He was great. And, uh, and, and we'll circle back with him. Now, the Bengals will not play them uh, again this season after playing the NFC South last year. But that's an interesting team, Casey. You said all along. You thought they were an interesting team to keep an eye on this year, the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, if I had a if I had a choice on who I was going to bet on to get over their win total, it's going to be the Falcons this year. I don't know what it is, but it's not high enough. I think I'm that high on them. I just like the moves that they made. I really – well, for one, I mean, I know what type of player Jesse Bates is too. And 
the fact that they already have a developing safety that's a lot like Richie Grant's a lot like Von Bell. So you might have a secondary that's really good with AJ Terrell getting healthy. They might get Gonzalez from Oregon. And I mean, you're looking at a, a scary, scary secondary. And if they can just find one more piece, an edge rusher, that defense is solved. It's fixed. And then you already got a pretty good running game for the yep. Falcons. Yep. And you know who that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like an improved version of the Titans from a couple years ago when they were the number one seed in the AFC. Well, so. the only the, the big difference is, and I know you were always bad-mouthing Tannehill all the time. Yep. But, I mean, the guy, solid veteran quarterback, yeah, taking teams multiple times to the playoffs for Ritter. Not to say he can't do it. I'm never going to say Ritter can't do anything because what that kid did at UC was, uh, was fantastic. But I, I, I really think the key, you know, when you're looking at Atlanta, what you're talking about, you know, that division – Stop and think about it for a second, right? Uh, the Saints got worse. Well, I mean, they, it, in some areas, you know, we'll see. Uh, we know that, that Carolina, uh, I shouldn't say we know, Carolina, didn't Carolina sign Andy Dalton? I do believe so, Okay, yes. so they signed Andy Dalton to be a mentor, a guy that whether they draft C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or who knows with the number one pick in the draft. Uh, they're not showing their cards yet as to what they're going to do. I think they said they sent 14 people to watch Stroud's Pro Day uh, at Ohio State. Carolina did uh, about a week and a half ago. And then, um, you know, and then Baker Mayfield taking over in Tampa Bay. Uh, I know both you guys are south on Mayfield. I'm not south on Mayfield. Not yet. What makes you not self on me? Because I think the guy has proven. He's proven a couple of things. One, he is a tough guy. He may not be a big guy, but he is a tough guy. Two, he has taken a team, a perennial losing, dismal, awful franchise. Great fan base. Great stadium, incredible following. He took a team not only to the playoffs, he won a playoff game. I think last year he showed you flashes of some of the things he could do, playing for the Rams. Decimated team on the offensive line. Stafford's out for the year. They bring in Mayfield. He did some good things. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think if you were to stack up at least for this coming year, I think Mayfield gives Tampa Bay a distinct advantage at the quarterback position. Not saying for two years from now. I'm saying for this coming year, even if C.J. Stroud is the first pick and he's the first starter from week one, okay? But I'm just saying, I think, don't you guys agree with that? That of that group, that's a pretty – I mean, it, 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 not a great, but a solid starting quarterback. Casey, your thoughts? You're shaking your head over here. This Come on, time. Casey. He doesn't, wear, he doesn't wear a Cleveland uniform anymore. He, Come on. He was part of the stink, the stench. He was part of the stench. And then, of course, you got Carr down there in, in New Orleans. So that's why I say when, when you yeah, said they've yeah, gotten okay. worse, I think they've gotten better at quarterback. 
Yeah, Although I'm not a huge right. Derek Carr guy at all. Yeah, you're right. I, I yeah. He would. I, you know what? Let me correct myself. Carr would probably give them a slight edge over Mayfield of the four teams in the division on paper, right? Because Carr's done the same thing Mayfield. Took him to a playoff game, right? Yep. Um, did that with the Raiders. So, you know, you ask yourself, would you rather have uh, uh, Andy Dalton or Stroud or any of those other guys? Carr, uh, Mayfield, or Desmond Ritter? Hmm. What, what, what order would you take him in? Um... If I had to give an order, who, um, man, I mean, I know what all those quarterbacks are except for the rookies, and I honestly, I might take. I mean, I don't know Ritter. I mean, we only seen four games out of him, but I would take Baker Mayfield last. I will tell you that. There's no way I'm taking him over any of the rookies or Ritter. And I would put Carr probably either at first or second. And so that would leave Desmond and the rookies at second and third. I don't know where I would put those two at, but I know that Ritter's a winner. And I know he's in a system that probably will play to his strengths, um, create a, a lot of play action for him to run out of pocket and make throws on the run. Um, they've got some really good weapons there. I'm just, I'm really high in the Falcons. So I'm going to put them at two. And I'm going to put the rookie. At Carolina at three, but it's not because of the skill level of that said rookie. It's more just the talent level of the, the Carolina Panthers currently are at. But I know we've talked at the the, the draft now at nauseum. Uh, we've well, talked- we we really haven't. We haven't gone deep into it like we well, are now. I guess you're right. What? Where are you wanting to move forward here? Are we moving forward to the Reds, or are we moving forward? Well, to- why? no, 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 no. Where, where I want to go, though, you had brought up to me about your reaction to Katie Brown's comments. Since we're on football, okay, we're going to get to baseball and basketball a little bit in the next hour because we got Dave Kaplan coming up. Um, all things sports, and, and specifically today, uh, talking about uh, the Cubbies coming to town. Uh, to take on the Red Legs. By the way, Baker Mayfield in his career, 102 touchdowns, 64 interceptions. 21 of those 64 came his second year in the league. Sounds pretty bad to me. Okay. I think you're just upset with him because he was a Bengals slayer. I have a tiny, True or false? I have a tiny bit to do Slayer. But he was bad every other game he played. He was. He stunk. He stunk. He stinks. He came into L.A., had a great game. A He's, great game against the middling. Yeah. De- not even middle, middling. Pitiful Denver team. Okay. All right. Okay. 31 and 38 in his career. Took a team six and seven his first year, eight and ten his second, eleven and eight his third, eight and eight before he off he went to uh, Carolina before eventually joining the Rams. Okay, so you're saying here there were a lot of comments made by the Bengals owner Mike Brown is the owner, but of course his family owns a team. His daughter, who's considered to be one of the sharpest minds. Male, female, makes no difference in all of the NFL on multiple fronts. Uh, She's one of the two or three most powerful women in professional sports today. 
not just football, but baseball, basketball, you name it. And that would be Katie Blackburn, Katie Brown Blackburn. She answered a lot of questions at the NFL owners' meetings about a number of topics. She talked about Joe Burrow and his contract and, uh, you know, how they're going to get going on this thing. There have been some preliminary discussions, but it's a contract that we hope everybody is going to be happy about um, and moving forward for a long, long time. But then, now I read these. And to, to tee everybody up here real quick in the chat and watching us online, Casey, you're saying you got a very different feel reading it as opposed to what we're about to hear. True? Yes, very, very true. Um, and I know I got to already apologize to uh, the guys on um, the box lunch, but I think this is big enough that even that you haven't heard of this yet. And it, it is a very... Um, it makes you change your mind on the whole where you stand with Joe Mixon, what the the Bengals think are going to do with him. Because, I mean, for someone that you think, like you said, you just teed it up perfectly. Katie Blackburn is a very well thought out, meticulous, um, smart individual. Yep. And if you just listen to this interview, it, it makes you um, really question what they're going to do with Joe Mixon. So I'll just play it up. And I'll let you listen to it for yourself. All right, let's hear it. Is he in the plans to be the starting running back this upcoming season? Um, right now, he's on the team, and we're, um, you know, we are going to count on him until until that wouldn't be the case but yeah he's he's the guy um he's done a lot of great things for the team i think he's still got a lot of production in him and um so um i hope his other issues all get resolved in a positive way um but we'll um keep plugging along and hope that Everything gets resolved for him one way or another. And, you know. So is that as it? And that's it. That's Ringing the, endorsement. Ringing endorsement. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like a very confident, oh, he's on the team. Or like, he, he's going to be our leader and he's going to be a, our starting running back. It sounds very uh, not convincing, trying to hide something that maybe that there's more to it than, than uh, the surface. What are your thoughts now that you've heard it in person? Well, hearing it, you are 1000% correct. Hearing it as opposed to reading it are two very different things because that sounded about as non-committal to a player currently on your team staying with your current team as you could possibly get. That sounds like somebody's getting asked to the homecoming dance and they're going, well, I don't, know I don't want to say no to you in front of all your friends. When you set up a massive homecoming proposal here, but maybe, maybe we talk about this later in private and then you go back and you have a conversation you're sitting in the car and then she goes, ah, oh, you know what? I just, I don't really think we should go to homecoming together. That's what that sounded like to okay. me. 
Well, but you know what happens, Paul? Uh, you know, you get asked by somebody. You're kind of hoping somebody else is going to ask, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you kind of eh, delay, delay, delay. And then the next thing you know, you ain't going with, with nobody. Or that, yeah. Right? S- sliding doors moment. And I don't think the Bengals want to take a running back with the first-round draft pick. And I'm not saying they have to. But there are many guys out there left in free agency that you say to yourself, that's a difference-making running back. Agreed. Agreed. I still continue to get back to the question we've asked on this program for two or three weeks now. Orlando Brown Jr., yes. Maybe the best free agent signing of any team in the league especially when you consider the need to protect Joe Burrow. But are the Bengals a better team right now, today, than the team that ended its season in Kansas City at the AFC Championship game? We'll find out. No, not we'll find out. I'm asking you today, are they a better team? team now they still have Mixon on the roster so it's not like they've cut him loose so you still have Mixon in your backfield he is still your starting running back at 10 million you got to pay him um see are they better they're better on the line offensive line right yeah I mean are they better in the secondary no chance. None. Eli Apple right now, gone. Von Bell, gone. Jesse Bates, gone. Now, maybe, 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 maybe these young guys play very, very well. There's still room in free agency to do a few things. Apple's not been signed by anybody, to my knowledge, right? Unless I miss something, they don't cover a lot of football down in the Dominican Republic. I don't think so. I don't think he's been signed. Okay. All right. Well, we got David Kaplan coming up here shortly. I want to get back to a couple of things real quick because you guys were talking during the Ham and Eggers segment about this whole um, sportsmanship thing. And Casey, you posed a question about, uh, we're talking about the Women's National Championship game. Now look. Dave Portnoy put up the video in a tweet. Right? I'll, pull it up. I'll put it up. Okay. So take a look at this. And believe me, I love smack talking as much as the next guy. Right? I love it. But if you're going to dish it out, you better be able to handle it. Now, this was a tweet that was sent out. There were two players. Okay? One from Iowa, one from LSU. They did this thing that players do now everything. Paul, give us a jargon on what this means. Oh, it's a John Cena. You can't see me. John, the wrestler, John Cena. That's his trademark thing. He, a wrestler in what? Is this WWE stuff or oh. what, what is this? Tom, you know John Cena. No, I have no idea. I wouldn't know him if he walked in the door. Who's oh, John no, Cena? Tom. Tom you, you know John Cena. You know John Cena. Lord strike me dead. I've never heard that name in my life before. Who is Tom? John Cena? you never even Cena? heard of John never Cena? Never, ever heard oh, of Oh, my God. Oh, this is this bigger is than the segment we're about to do. we got to talk John Cena. Well, this could be a teaching Tom. 
I have no clue who oh John Cena is. Oh my God, Tom! Hang on. I gotta play. I gotta Holy actually play the intro what? segment. Hang on, let me let me Tom, pull this up. Tom, 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 Tom. I mean, I'm not. Even you mean to tell man. me that my that my uh, that my life is altered to the negative by not knowing who John Cena is? John, he yes. Tom, he's like a he, he's like a cultural phenomenon of the last. Cultural years. phenomenon of what? I'm being serious here. I mean, he's, he's 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 he was a wrestler. He was back in the Attitude Era of WWE. But I mean, he was like John Cena, The Rock, all those guys. But then now he's gotten he, he's a he's a pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. Okay. Let me, well, I'm I, not a WWE guy in any form. Well, no, of neither am I. All right. I, okay. I don't know if I've ever right. watched it in my okay. life. But all right. Okay. So but go ahead. John Cena. Yeah. We're. I'm going to pull up some clips, and I'm going to play this intro segment for uh, John. we got to make it. Oh, okay, it's teaching talk. Yeah, That's there you go. There's one of those that goes around on the internet. Joe Burrow, Joe Scheist. Joe what? Is that the word? Is that the hip word? I don't even know what to say. What? When a viewer tells me that I'm trying to be hip, and I'm not as hip as I think I am, that hurts. <laughs> John Cena, former WWE wrestler, is also known as a actor now. Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, he's played in famous movies. He's all over the place. Like... <laughs> I'm not stepping on no, your toes. I can tell. This stuff I'm not just blowing up the computer to I'm get not, the John I'm not Cena step on, I'm trying not to step on Casey's toes here because oh I don't know where he's God. going. He's played in movies such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, no. You're doing, Fast, is it you're doing a bad sell of John no, that's Cena. Real, that's Fast not a good start. series. The Suicide Squad. Okay, that was a – I didn't see that. I always wanted to watch that movie. Okay, go ahead. I, to be very clear, Tom. Somebody be, in the chat here. I'm not going to say somebody. I'm going to give a name. Uh, of course, they're saying come out under the rock, all that kind of thing. But uh, who was it? Uh, someone said, Tom, you, you've missed nothing in your life if you don't know who John Cena is. But go ahead. To, I mean, to be clear, like I have, wa I can't stand wrestling. I've watched Brian, maybe, maybe five minutes of it in my life. I think it's dumb. But it is. But back when all these guys were really, like, like, when they were the stars of the show, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. We don't need to go on about it. No, but what, give me something to Cena here. You because wanna, I'm told he's in commercials and all this stuff, and I should know who he is. But maybe I'll know him if I see him. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you got just something just on the guy? Pull, just pull a picture up. Yeah, yeah, here. Hold on. I'll pull a picture up for you. I'll throw him on the screen. I don't know if I can throw him on the. Yeah, here. You know John Cena. Oh, shit. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Here we go. You know, come on. You know that face. Well, you, it's not on the screen. Well, it's not on the, it's not on the off the bench screen, okay. but everybody that's watching the show knows who he is. Okay. You know who this is, right, Tom? I, You've seen that face before. Actually, I, to, really? me, to me, he looks like James Laurinaitis. So here he is right here. See? I mean, he, listen, he's listen, the... I understand the, the entertainment value of WWE, WWF, all that kind of, I get it, okay? I get it. But I mean, 
me not knowing who John Cena is and for the two of you guys to be beating me down uh, and many in the chat beating me down, get out under a rock. I mean, come on. Like, come on. This song, you've never heard this song? He's a he's an icon in our. He, yeah, he our is generation. an icon. I love John Cena. All right, go ahead. On to the All next. All right, thing. so what's he? Before we get to David Kaplan, what's he have to do with this? That's his thing. That yeah, that's, that's his, his thing. That's his signature thing. Like you can't see me. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now this plays itself out in the uh, women's national championship game. Okay, where Caitlin Clark, I believe it is, a big star for Iowa, right? Um. You know, does it during the game, uh, counterpart on LSU, does it during the game, and you're thinking, okay, that's the end of it. But then the video at the very end of the game, as the final second ticks off and LSU wins a national championship, apparently one of the LSU players, right, follows around Caitlin Clark instead of celebrating with her teammates. She basically is stalking Clark around the court for a good 10 or 15 seconds and just doing this in her face over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was, that was what happened, yes. Yeah. And did you guys have a problem with that or no? I didn't. I, I'm, in fact, I actually liked it. I mean, that's literally the exact same thing happened in the Super Bowl with Aaron Donald. He did the exact same thing. You can't see me and start pointing at his finger for the ring. Like, I don't, I don't see a problem with it. And Caitlin Clark, she even did the, the whole you can't see me thing throughout the tournament. Okay. So I don't, I don't get what the problem is okay. with, with the – I can't remember the LSU player's name right now, but I don't see what the, the deal is with that. She played – Caitlin Clark was made out to be this, and she is, phenomenal athlete, someone that was favored in this game – and well, no, that, I don't. I don't think don't, so. LSU was favored, weren't they? I, don't I thought so. Iowa was. Favored. I thought Iowa was, was Iowa favored. favored? Oh, okay. So Iowa was favored, and LSU coming away with a dominant win. And I yeah. know that that's debatable with all the refereeing mistakes and just how poor it was. Yeah. But the you the, know. the real story of this game was the officiating. Like everybody, yeah. everybody wanted to make this end of the game situation, what it was, and sure, it was a lot of discourse for a long time, whatever, yesterday, have your opinion on it, whatever. The real thing that we can all agree on, though, is how horrific the officiating was in the game. And it's it's so, it, it was a bummer, honestly, because the women's game had gotten so much attention, mostly because of how talented this Final Four was, and looking at a South Carolina team South Carolina was minus, I think, minus 200 pre-tournament as the freaking favorites of the tournament. Minus 200 versus the field. Mm -hmm. That's how good that South Carolina team was, and Iowa beat them yep. on, on Friday night in the Final Four. And it was just, it, it, it felt like even it, for Caitlin Clark, she scored 40 points in that game, 40, 41 points, however many she scored. And it felt like she had an off night. Felt like she, it felt like if she had gotten to the rim a little more, Felt like she left some points on the on the floor, yeah. but 
I thought the story yesterday it was really a shame for the women's game that had gotten so much attention and had made a lot of progress uh, over the last month or so, really this season especially, uh, that a storyline from the game was officiating. You hate that. Yep. Um, you, you just really hate that in a game like that where Caitlin Clark gets called for that technical foul where she throws the ball to the baseline. That was, that was, I mean, that was unbelievable. It is a shame. It's hard to wrap your head around. All right, before we get to Dave Kaplan, uh, let's take a break. Uh, We're going to preview the Cubs and the Reds starting tonight down at Great American Ballpark. And we're still going to get back to this because i got people actually now coming to my defense. They can say, Tom, we get it. If you know who Macho Man Savage or Hulk Hogan, if you know some of those guys, real men. Not some guy named Senna. Real men. Is it Cena or Senna? Cena. Cena. All right. He's no Hulk Hogan. Ham and Eggers. <laughs> it's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Senna. <laughs> I, love, I love this show. This is the best two hours of television you'll get every day. This is the best best two hours of my day every day. Um, yeah, Casey, any I could tell you were trying to go somewhere with what you were about to say. Oh, I was just uh, John Cena to me. Like I maybe it's just because there's like tons of memes about him and the the whole you can't see me thing, and he blends in, he's camouflaged, all that other crap, and the fact that he was. One of the better wrestlers in our generation. Um, I just maybe maybe we were a little too hard on Tom there because he's never watched it in his life. Oh well, yeah, but you don't have to but, watch WWE to know John Cena. I've never right, I've seen I have I was seen looking at his movie list here and I was struggling to I mean like the Fast and Furious. Yeah, but he's just all over and, the place. I mean he's just he shows up. Yeah, he just shows yeah. up in commercials. He shows up. He's in other random things. spots. Look, you know, I'm not a wrestling fan. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't, I don't watch it. But he's the man. He's the man. He's the man. Uh, yes. Okay. So we have that. We have David Kaplan coming up in a little bit. We have Reds and Cubs preview. I'm sure on Box Lunch today. We'll sure, have, Reed. We'll be talking a lot more about that. We'll have. Uh, I don't know if you're going to go for a prop or what you're going to go for, but we have to come up with some baseball bets. Yes. At the end of our shows We've now. Transition from college basketball bets at the end of the show to a baseball bet. So I have to start taking a look at that, which we will as as this goes on. We do have box lunch coming up later today. That'll be uh, immediately after. Back to our regularly scheduled programming on this show for the first time in what feels like forever. Yeah, and I think we'll have more. We're going to try to have more guests on the show like Aaron Freeman Yes. About other teams. And we're going to try to at least get a feel for what all the teams are going to do up and coming into the draft. But we also don't want to just drown people with NFL talk either. There's not going to be a whole lot except for draft talk. So, you know, might as well get get a good feeling of all the other teams so we don't sit here talk about Mixon and Jonah Williams for yes a whole month, yeah. which I know no one else wants to really talk about that. So... Well, there are a lot of people who want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I mean, make no mistake about it. They do, but I don't know if anyone wants to listen anymore. <laughs> I think that's the problem. 
Uh, one, uh, the Cincinnati kid writes in, says, uh, Senna has completed the most make-a-wish wishes ever and that he is a great guy. So you know what? I think that's fantastic. Congratulations. That's good stuff. And uh, Cincinnati kid, thank you for uh, pointing that out. All right, is David Kaplan ready to go? Um, he is, is car again. He is trying to get situated. I think he is outside, though. He's outside and, and doing something. I lost him a second ago. I don't know if he's in okay. a good area. Right, we'll wait, we'll we wait on him. him, talking about uh, the Reds and the Cubbies that begin tonight at um, Great American Ballpark. Um, it was the largest regular season crowd for opening day. Yes. Even though it did not sell out till very, very late. No. But a huge crowd, beautiful day. Um, had a decent crowd, decent Saturday. Then yesterday, nice day, 14,000. I mean, there was a time, and it just goes to show you how far um, our expectation level has dropped around here. You look at 14,000 and you go around Major League Baseball. And again, I was with my dad and our family last night celebrating our son's birthday. And, um, and you know, I made the comment. You, you draw 14,000 a game, you're going to be the third lowest attended team in the National League. Third lowest. The only two teams that will draw fewer fans will be the Miami Marlins and the Pittsburgh Pirates. That'll be it. In the American League, Cleveland doesn't draw anybody, and all they do is win. I mean, it's pathetic. Uh, it, it is pathetic. Uh, the, the, the way Cleveland draws compared to the product on the field. It's one thing if your team stinks and people don't go. You get it. But Cleveland every year is in the hunt, uh, and nobody goes. Uh, Oakland will be down there. Uh, Baltimore was for a long time, but they, they, they've got some reason to be excited after last season with the Orioles. Were they your team, Paul, being a, an elitist East Coast guy? You know, now that you're in flyover country? Yeah. Were you more of a Baltimore or a, a Nats guy? Oh, Nationals. Well, of course. Yeah, they were oh, winning. Yeah. They were winning. Well, yeah, but I mean, just accessibility to the game. I, yeah, no, no. I was I, I probably for 14 years there rarely ever missed watching a Nationals game. Oh, yeah. Even in the, even in the doldrums of 08, 09, 2010. Still, yeah, they were great. It's just like I said, going wasn't it wasn't quite as easy going to the Nationals though as it is to the Reds, where you can pay ten bucks and sit right yeah. behind the dugout. Yeah, although it is nice in uh, in D.C. Uh, where you can just get off that train and just walk right in the ballpark. My dad actually, I was I said this while you were out of town last week. My dad worked right, a, doesn't anymore, but used to work right across the street from Nats Park. So we locked out. We had free parking. We could just park in his office building in the parking lot underneath. Perfect. Walk straight across. But the train was great. The Navy yeah. Yard station right there across the way. It always stunk, though, if you did have to take the Metro. They'd shut the trains down. Yeah. You had to hope that the game yeah. didn't go to the 10th or 11th inning or else you'd get that mass exodus. That was a concern in the World Series. Yep. And then I think they – I think yeah, I remember they did. them ex extending yes, the train so that nobody had to, nobody had to worry about yes, it. Yes, they but did. We do have Dave Kaplan in here. Uh-oh. I thought we did. I think we might have been having a problem. You think we've got Dave Kaplan lined up? Well, we, we having see some issues. I see him. That's okay. That's all right. We're fine. We're fine. Um, 
We do want to circle back around before the end of the show today. And, Paul, get your thoughts on the national championship game tonight. We've not talked yes. about that yet. The other thing is this Viking thing. Need your take on this, Tom. I am a reserving opinion. I'm going to sit on the sideline for a few days to think about this one. Okay. So, David Kaplan, I mean, you know, we talk all the time. He's Mr. Chicago Sports. I mean, you know, look, there are a lot of us around here that, you know, in my case, used to be semi-big league operator. Uh, my dad is still a big league operator. Uh, but this guy has, has, has been a big league operator forever, so much so that he joins our program for the second time, moments after signing off his radio show in the Windy City, and he joins us in his car, David Kaplan. Catman, how are you, my man? My guy, I've got the Chicago River right here. I tried to give you a great shot of the greatest city in the world, and for whatever reason, my Bluetooth wouldn't pick up, so I had to get in the car. I just want you to know what's like right here, Tommy. The greatest city in the world, baby. That's right. And you're going to get the wrath of the Cubbies coming your way. Well, I got to tell you, you know, I, 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 well, then again, knowing you the way I know you, you're probably in cahoots with Lori Lightfoot. I thought maybe she had shut down, you know, your Bluetooth or whatever it might be. So wow. I, we'll, we'll, save, we'll save that for another day. Uh, as she is no longer running the greatest city uh, in America, Chicago. Right, now, Thank look, God. We, like, we like playing this game of, of, you know, where you been, where are you now, where are you going, okay? So let's start before the season ever begins. I know you felt very good about this Cubs team and at least moving forward after getting through the years of no more Rizzo, no more Baez, no more Lester, no more all those guys, right? Coming into the year – your expectation of your Chicago Cubs are or is 82, 82 wins, like 82 and 80, 83 and 79, and headed in the right direction, unlike some club that likes to eat skyline chili and reside among the ne'er do wells <laughs> in the NL Central. What you guys have done, or what they have done, to the once proud Reds franchise is embarrassing. You're getting no argument out of me. And don't say you guys. I have, as my old friend Bob Brenly used to say, I have no fingerprints on this mess. And you and none. <laughs> All right. So the Cubbies, I mean, you know, strengths of the team. For people who are just now sort of getting into baseball, okay, and there, and, 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 and there are a lot of appealing things about the rules changes that I think are going to make it a more appealing game to a lot of fans. Games are moving Agreed. quicker, a lot quicker. Pace of play is moving. There's some things happening, some positive momentum for a change for baseball. You look at the Cubs, and the reason you think they're a plus, slightly plus 500 team, at least on paper, the strength of the team resides where? Starting pitching and defense. I think we have really good starting pitching and outstanding defense. You have a gold glove finalist in Nico Horner at second. You have a gold glove winner in Dansby Swanson at shortstop. You have a gold glove winner in left field. A former gold glove winner in center field in Cody Bellinger. A former gold glove catcher in 
Tucker Barnhart, who's not a great offensive player. I'll be the first to admit that, a former Red. Another solid defender in Jan Gomes, a former Gold Glove winner in Eric Hosmer. So we have got some really good defensive players. Marcus Stroman was simply magnificent on opening day. You got great starting pitching, six shutout out of Justin Steele. On Saturday, Tyone gave you four eh, okay innings, four, uh, three runs in four innings. And that's some guy I never heard of, and I cover the damn team. Merriweather gave up five runs in two-thirds of an inning. That guy needs to pack his bags and go back to Iowa. He was horrible. You're already shipping guys out one game into a season? I, I mean, no you'd want to ship out Hunter Green out of Cincinnati for crying out loud. Hunter Green throws 111 miles an hour and was a highly regarded prospect. This dude, Merriweather, I never heard of, and I covered the team. No, (laughs) that was awful. What he did was awful. All right, you got Drew Smiley, uh, who's had his moments, certainly in the big leagues, who's getting the ball tonight against Connor Overton. Um, Let's start with your just-completed weekend. You gave us some of the highlights outside outside of Mr. Merriweather, but the bottom line is your Cubbies lose two out of three to the Craig Councils of Milwaukee. Okay, we got two homers out of Patrick Wisdom yesterday. This dude's going to hit 25 to 30 bombs this year and strike out 974 times. Good dude, plays hard. He's not your long-term answer at any position on the diamond. Solid, okay, fine. Uh, Dansby Swanson, seven hits through the first three games. So it shows you that is four for a billion in spring trading really didn't mean a whole heck of a lot. I like what we're doing defensively. I like what our starting pitching looked like in large part, just not real fired up about what I saw from our bullpen. Javier Assad pitched on Saturday and gave it up in his second inning of work. Cubs lose. They had a one nothing lead in the eighth, lose three to one. So we've got to be better offensively. And I hope we go into Cincinnati and paddle the Reds very effectively. Well, you know, you look at some of these pitching matchups, and I mentioned Smiley tonight. He'll be opposed by Connor Overton. Uh, Help me with Hayden's last name, who's pitching tomorrow. Hayden Wisniewski, and you better understand my friend Tom. That's probably a guy who's going to be on some National League Rookie of the Year ballots. This kid is a beast. I'm telling you what. We may not be able to develop our own pitching. We're getting better at that. But when they traded uh, Scott Efros last year at the deadline with five years of control, Jed Hoyer said, you want him? Four teams in the AL East, he told me the other day. Four teams in the AL East are bidding to get Efros, who's a really good reliever. Unfortunately, blew his elbow out when the, after the Yankees made the deal. He said, here's the cost. I want that guy. And they gave him to us. And Hayden Wisniewski finished last year in our rotation. Yep. He broke camp in our rotation. You're going to get a dose of Hayden Wisniewski tomorrow. Look, at the end of the day, the Cubbies are one of the most highly valued franchises in all the professional sports. Um, the owner, uh, Mr. Ricketts, went out, spent a lot of money. Uh, he did what no owner has ever done, uh, going all the way back to 1908. And that's when a World Series Uh, for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, He brought in a a lot of big-time free agents. They also developed a lot of big-time players. Those days are long gone. Um, 
how do Cub fans look at this, at the ownership and the franchise, knowing it's a franchise that at least as far as the kind of money it makes is not spending a ton of money? So I'm speaking to you now as a fan, then I'll give you my professional perspective. As a fan, I like Tom very much, like it. He gave me the greatest sports moment of my life. The Cubs could win the next 15 World Series, and if the good Lord willing, I'm alive for all of them, it would never top November 2nd, 2016, when they ended 108 years of idiocy, as I like to call it. It was insane. And to be there that night in Cleveland and to look up at my late father and go, Dad, we did it. It was unbelievable. But that said, Tom, to have to go through a rebuild of this magnitude twice in a decade with the revenues that the Cubs have is unconscionable. I know there was a pandemic. I know they lost, you know, well north of $100 million. But guess what? Your franchise is worth $5 billion or $4.8 billion. You tighten your belt a little bit. But to go into uh, the fetal position to the degree that they did, I thought was unconscionable. That's me, the fan. Me, the professional, will tell you they offered Chris Bryant a massive extension after the World Series. He said no. His right. He now plays for Colorado. Anthony Rizzo got offered $70-plus million as an extension. He said no. They traded him to the Yankees. They offered Javi Baez a big extension and Wilson Contreras and Addison Russ. All these dudes, except for Kyle Hendricks, said thank you but no thank you. They were feeling their oats as members of the Chicago Cubs, world champs. They're young. I think if they could go back in time, they might have taken some of those extension offers. So I understand why the Cubs did what they did. I just don't think in this market with those revenues, and you know them as well as anybody, that Wrigley fan base is rabid. They spend money. You should never go through a full-scale rebuild twice in 10 years. All right, last thing. Um, well, no, last two things. Number one, uh, would you care to place a little uh, two out of three wager on this three-game series uh, where if the Reds win two out of three or win the series, um, that, you know, uh, you buy me dinner at, say, Jeff Ruby's new joint downtown, and uh-huh. if the Cubbies win a series – I buy you dinner at you pick the spot. You know the town much better than I do. And I take you out to dinner. Would you care to make that kind of wager, yay or nay? I absolutely would, but I got a better wager for you. How All about right. I ship you, it's called Tastes of Chicago, Lou Malnati's deep dish oh. pizza so that your Love family Malnati's. can partake. And I'll put some other goodies in there, Eli's cheesecake and Vienna hot dogs. And I'll ship all that to your house, but I don't think that's going to happen. And you got to ship me a case of Grater's ice cream because I don't want any of that Skyline chili. You got a deal. We're on. All I want is a Lou Malnati's pizza. I don't want anything else. I don't want the cheesecake. I don't want any of it. I just want you. You just want Grater's, and I just want um, Lou Malnati's. You deal? got yourself a de- done. Deal. Bring it on. 
All right, last thing before we let you go, we want to get you back for another time, if you would, uh, to really get in-depth on the Bears. What, what do you think they're doing draft day? I think they'd like to trade down again from nine and get themselves in the top 15, but get more draft capital. Look, I'm laughing at all the people that are betting the Bears to win the division. It's a bad football team right now. They got 10 draft picks. They have not addressed their defensive line. They still need a right tackle. Their wide receiver room is fine. It's better. DJ Moore's a nice player. They're treating it like we got Lynn Swan, Jerry Rice, and John Taylor all in the same room in this town. And you know me, I never get out over my skis. I'm telling you, this team is still dead last in the division. All right. That's a cap, man. Cap, uh, you must have one of those. You know, I talked about being a big league operator. I mean, you've been sitting in that same spot overlooking the river, which tells me the cops aren't going to come bother you. It's kind of like, you know, if you're carjacking somebody in Chicago, the cops don't bother those guys either. So, I mean, maybe you can just sit right there and do whatever it is you want to do. Well, I don't – I try to stay out of the politics on radio. I'm just hoping tomorrow's a better day in our city when the election is held. All right. Well, get out there and vote because I know you will. 100%. All right. Catman, thanks for your time, brother. All the best. Love you. Be- ahead. Best of Marty Brenneman. Best of Marty. I was with the old boy last night. That dude's the best, man. I love that guy. I had him in my studio. He walked from the hotel, came in my studio, and did an hour with me, and it was the most enjoyable hour I've done in years. Yeah, well. Well, he can do that to you. He can definitely do that. The best. Unless you're his son. And then he's on your ass 24-7. Outside of that, all's cool with the world. All right, Catman, have a great rest of your day, buddy. I look forward to seeing you. Okay, pal. David Kaplan, kind enough to join us from Chicago. Big league operator, Kaplan. Big league operator. I knew him when. I knew him when he was just some schmuck running around town. Right, doing college basketball and coaching basketball and all this kind. Now, the king. The king. I thought nobody could get bigger than Chet Kopik. He is bigger than Chet Kopik. And that's saying something in Chicago. And it couldn't happen to a better guy. Um, So we thank David Kaplan for his time. All right. um, The Viking thing. I should ask Kaplan this question if he's even seen this. Paul, what are your thoughts on the Viking helmet and celebration when the Reds uh, have a player hit a home run? What are your thoughts? Ah, they're having some fun. Having some fun. I'm in. I'm in. Sure, why not? Lee Erickson's been a loyal member of this chat. Norse have had a successful year. We were in on the 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins train. It's been a good year for Scandinavian culture. Yeah, extends to the Reds. As a former uh, NKU grad myself, I like it. I like it a lot. The only thing that's left for them to do is to have a a, a giant barrel of mead at the end of their dugout so they can pour themselves a big glass after they knock one out of the park. Speaking of knocking one out of the park, actually, well, wait. Let's let's get your take on it, Tom. The Vikings? I told you I'm reserving judgment. Okay. Did you see down in Nashville, Joey Votto? First pitch he saw this season, home run. I did. 
towering home run. Yes, and good for him. And Everybody's then, very excited about him coming back. And, and a lot of people – I mean, it went up to the, ra- the, the last minute as to whether he was going to open the season with the, the major league team. And then because he was unable to play back-to-back nine-inning games, uh, they decided to wait. But he's not going to be down there long. Did you see the uh, – did you see him motoring home on that ball in the gap too? No, He was huffing and puffing. It was great. It was a fun – it was a fun club. Hey, he's almost 40. He's allowed to huff and puff. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying a negative. He just – it was funny. He touched home plate. Went over to the on-deck circle and just took a big old sigh of relief. Took a big deep breath. Get him the oxygen mask. You want to know how green I am on on baseball stuff? At first, when I saw that, I'm like, this has to be an April Fool's clip because he didn't play. This isn't even the Red Stadium. I didn't realize he was playing. He is playing. He's down in the minors. He's down in the minors. Yep. I just couldn't even, like, fathom, like, Joey Votto in the the minors. Yeah, it's just a rehab. Yeah. Guys get hurt, they go down there, they play, they come back up. Hayden, uh, you guys brought up Hayden Wesneski, Tom. Um, Wesneski was a trade piece, as Kaplan was talking about. He was a trade piece from the Yankees organization. He was in my league in 2021, and I saw him a couple of times, and he was, by the end of the year, he had a rough start to the year in A. He started 15 times uh, that year in A. But he had a great year, and I remember when he got traded because we had all seen him pitch, and and you could tell he had talent. The stats just didn't really back it up that year. And I remember when he got traded, it was a massive deal, and everybody in the minors kept talking about, man, the the Cubs really got a good one. The Cubs really got a good one. So we'll see see how it pans out. I wish I could go tomorrow night. Reed and I actually uh, will be on the call together for a baseball game tomorrow night. I know he'll he'll be down there tonight, but, you know, Wes Nesky pitching tomorrow. It'll be a uh, it'll be an interesting series here with the Reds and the Cubbies right away to get the year started. It will be. It'll be fun. And uh, I can't find where it is. Uh, somebody made the comment. We were joking. And it's not a joking matter about crime, but you were talking about Chicago. I mean, g- go back and read the numbers, please. Please, just go do me a favor, okay? Article written four days ago, okay? increase in overall crime in Chicago from 21 to 22. Three of the four deadliest years in the history of the city. 2021-22-23. Deadliest in the history, the last 2016. All right. Just go read the numbers before you spew off whatever it might be. All right. Um... The national championship game tonight, Paul. You were saying, and I give you guys all the credit in the world when you're on your game and will beat you down regularly when you're not. But you were saying going way and back, and I remember actually texting you during the game when UConn played Xavier earlier this year. And I mean UConn could not throw a ball in the ocean. And I wrote to you, how is this team ranked in the top 50? Right? Yeah. It was an ugly game. Both yeah. teams in the first half. I mean, look, it happens. Yeah. I mean, we're kidding around. It's tongue in cheek. But you were saying going back early in the year when they had the huge win, started off red hot. Yeah. Then they go through a very short lull, but a lull nonetheless. But you were saying all along, this is the team to watch. Yeah. And I mean, this tournament has been, it, it, it's like a pro team the yeah. way they're playing right now. Yeah. Yeah. They, they haven't. <laughs> They have not lost to a team outside of the Big East yet this season. 
And they have beat every single non-conference opponent by double digits. They have not just beaten these teams. They have destroyed these teams. And you think about that Final Four game on Saturday night with UConn and Miami. Every time it felt like Miami, it, they made a couple of pushes in the second half. But they were only within single digits in the second half for 35 seconds. Think about that. Yep. Think about how many times sitting there watching the game, you're thinking to yourself, oh, Miami's made a couple of threes here. They went on that 7-0 run in less than a minute. Oh, they've cut it down to whatever it was, nine. They were only within single digits for 35 seconds in the second half. This has been a dominant run from you. It's not the most dominant run of all time by, by points or whatever. Um, you, you look back at 2018 Villanova, that was a really dominant one. Even Kansas last year, low-key, if you really go back and look at it, um, I know the national championship game wasn't dominant. They were they needed a massive rally in the second half to win that game. But the rest of the – Kansas had a really good run to the title last year. But UConn is just making – like you say, Tom, this is like a pro-style team where they have shooters. They have the size. And Donovan Klingon is only playing – John Rothstein talked about it last night. His numbers, if you look at Klingon, he's only playing like 13 minutes a game. Yeah. But if he was playing – 25, 26 minutes a game. Well, he will next year. Yeah, you're talking about a player that's potentially like a generational talent. Yep. And I remember watching UConn back in Portland and just seeing their size. I hadn't seen, you know, a lot of these names were new. And they just, you're looking at a guy like Klingon. And I remember seeing them even just walk out on the court and think to myself, these guys are a professional team. And then Xavier beat them twice. Marquette beat them twice. They took eight losses in the Big East. Seven in the regular season, one in the Big East tournament. But haven't lost to a non-conference team yet. Isn't this the same guy, the coach for UConn, that said, all you got to do is get three NBA players and fill in with the rest of the... Uh, yeah, that's basically what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he basically said, hey, look, it's... Paraphrasing, he said, it's it's not all that difficult when you just you have three NBA players and you have to fill in the space around them and we've been able to figure that out pretty well and hey look Danny Hurley is you know I mean he's like his brother I mean they're both crazy on the sideline and all that kind of thing and it make for great theater to sit there and watch them and, and they're kind of guys you're gonna love or you're you're, you're, you're gonna hate right I mean they, they, that's who they are but you know Danny Early just seems like a really nice story. Watch a long documentary on him over the weekend and some of the mental health issues. I guess he went through while he was a player and he was overshadowed by his dad, this legendary high school coach in Jersey, overshadowed by his brother, Bobby Hurley, right? Great player. Danny was a good player. Uh, but, you know, he was coaching high school basketball how long ago? Danny Hurley, right? Yeah. And now he's in the national championship game. You got to feel good for a guy like that, right? Yeah, and he's taken a lot of criticism for not being able to handle his emotion. You think back to that game at Xavier, really, where that was a close game down the stretch. It was tied with less than four minutes to go, and then Hurley picks up the technical foul, and Xavier ends up stretching the lead. I think Xavier ended up winning that game by seven or so, and that was, at that point, the first loss of the season for UConn. And the knock on Dan Hurley was – consistently that he could never control himself in the big moments that he always either got a tech or he got overly excited and he wasn't able to lock it down and, and coach his guys up when they needed to in the final moments of the game. And now here in the, in the tournament, I don't want to say the team hasn't needed coaching, but they have just run through this tournament. It hasn't even been close. I don't think one time except to their credit, 
And this is where I say, to the Big East, it's coming. Rick Pitino is the only one that has even remotely made it interesting against UConn in this tournament when Iona was leading UConn at halftime. Yep. They were beating this team at halftime, and UConn, sure, they went on to win by 20. But I, I think it kind of goes to show what Iona and, and what Rick Pitino can, can bring, obviously one of the greatest college basketball, or really greatest basketball coaches of all time. No doubt. Um, but yeah, I, I, UConn is seven point favorites in this game. The only thing that does make me a little nervous about that is just the style of play that San Diego State brings, where they try to slow it down. There's not a lot of possessions. They defend you hard. Good comparison to UC back in like the mid 2015s ish, uh, like a McCronin team where they just kind of get you down, defend. But I st I still think this is UConn's title to lose. What what a game on Saturday though, San Diego State oh, and man. Ford Atlantic. I felt beater. so bad for FAU. They were the better team in the game. They were the better team the whole game. But it just goes to show you, you know. Uh, one of you guys said earlier, all that matters is did you win or did you lose? And, I mean, they, they just dominated that game. And then all of a sudden, the thing that really stood out for me, tell me if you agree, um, most of the game until that stretch where they, they erased the 14-point deficit in a hurry, all the offensive rebounds were going to FAU, right? Yeah. They were getting every rebound, period. And then all of a sudden, San Diego State, and it wasn't because they were just crashing the glass – they were shooting a lot of they were shooting a lot of threes, long rebounds coming out, right? Missed shot, long rebound coming out. And that's where they really made the turn in that game. And that's what worries me for San Diego State tonight. Yeah. UConn's just got so many massive bodies. Florida Atlantic was one of the smallest teams in the tournament. Might have been the smallest team in the tournament, right? Uh I think they were physically the smallest. That was Fairly Dickinson was. Oh, okay, fairly. But, yeah, but FAU's but not a big team. No. They had the big Russian kid. Yeah. But outside of that, they didn't really have much height. Yeah. I yeah, I, I, I think that this game tonight, I think there is a chance that San Diego State, I mean, look, San Diego State beat Alabama. So it's not like they haven't beaten these teams that have they've earned their way there. I just think that the way that UConn is playing right now, they just look like they're playing yeah. on another level. When I watch them play, all I could think about is what their practices must be like. Because there are very few college basketball teams anymore where you watch and there's a lot of depth, but you just look at the physical bodies. We talk about this with Houston, but we wouldn't see a lot of their bench during the year. I just thought to myself every time I've watched UConn in this tournament, their practices must just be unbelievable. The competition in those practices. It's got to be yeah. mind-boggling. Well, that's a lot of times when you think back to the beginning of the season and you're playing those bye games against, you know, so-and-so tech from wherever state in the middle of nowhere, and you think to yourself, I know they got to sell tickets and they got to it's, – it's nice to play somebody else, but the practices are more competitive than playing some of those teams. You play a five-on-five five up in stores at practice, that's a whole lot more competitive than running yourself out there against the 280th-ranked Ken Palm team. Hey, how about North Texas in the uh, NIT? Armin, the, the what? Armin Green. You're, you're North Texas, Mean Green. They won the NIT. You were big on North Texas a few weeks ago. I tried to tell you about them. They won the NIT, Tom. They did or did they beat? They beat another uh, Conference USA team. They beat uh, – who did they beat? I'm blanking. I, I have no, I'm blanking. No clue. I watched blank, the whole game. Blank. I'm, I'm watching the whole game. I'm blanking on who they beat. Oh, UAB. UAB. 
UAB, Andy Kennedy. Fighting Andy Kennedy, right? UAB, UAB, that's right. That was a guy in between Hugs and Mick, right? Or after Mick? After, no, before Mick. Before he was Mick. between, he was was between Hugs, hugs. Between hugs yes, and Mick. between yes. Hugs and Mick. Yes, that's right. Love NIT basketball. I loved it when UC was in it. And uh, after uh, they lost to something called Utah Valley, I was rooting for them to win. I never heard who won. That was their first nationally televised game. I know. Utah Valley. I know. Heck of a gym. Beautiful. Look great. Look great. Great atmosphere. All right. Uh, Do we have a cherry on top today or no? We do. We do. Before we get to boxed lunch today, Reed is going down to the ball game tonight. He's all fired up after hearing from his boy who is just drunk with Cub fandom and David Kaplan. So this comes courtesy uh, on Twitter, courtesy of Twitter, and it is from Saturday night. This is Petco Park. This is the Final Four reacting, playing on the jungle floor as San Diego State won the game. That was kind of cool. We were playing it during the Rocky starting lineups. San Diego State. Very cool. I was texting with my uh, old broadcast who is a proud alum of San Diego State. And when the game tipped off, he was the first person I thought of, and I shot him a text and said, please tell me you're in Houston. He said, nope, but if they make it Monday, I'm there. We have to try to get him on tomorrow. Absolutely. Gracie! No one had more No hits. batting gloves. No one had more hits in the entire major leagues in the 1990s than Mark Grace. And doubles. Doubles, too. I didn't know Hits doubles. and doubles. Guy could hit, man. Could hit. And he could feel. Yeah. That was a, that was a weak point in the, the Cubs time. They weren't very good in the 90s. Late 90s, they were okay. No, they stunk. I was there. They, they <laughs> stunk. They were terrible. They were terrible. Uh, but they had some good offensive teams. Yeah. I mean, they had, um, you know, for a stretch here, they had Sandberg, right? Yep. They had uh, Gracie. Uh, they had some other guys. I'm drawing a blank on Slam right now. Slam and Sammy. Well, S- Slam and Sammy came on board uh, early 90s uh, for George Bell. And, uh, yeah, they had some guys that could hit, but they couldn't win. And um, so you're going down there tonight, Reed Mouse. Absolutely. Me and my wife are going to go down there. And Is she a Cub fan too or no? She is by default. I think she'd be the fan if, of whatever team I would cheer for. So she, she's a trooper in that regard. But yeah, she she's got. I've bought her Cubs jerseys. We're gonna we're gonna rock on down there. She's let me name our our dogs after Cubs players. Our, whenever we decide to have a child, he'll be named after Ryan Sandberg. So she's on board. She's fully on board. So we're ready to rock. Imagine loving a team that much. No. No. You gotta I can't. give it up for Reed. He's a real Somebody fan. wants to know if Reed is wearing <laughs> capri pants. <laughs> So, speaking of my or, wife. Or is that like the T-shirt you were wearing a couple of weeks ago and you just found those pants? Well. And you shimmied in there with a shoehorn or what, what the hell did you do there? What happened? My wife buys all my clothes. So, whenever she tells me, I just I just live live my day-to-day and she tells me what to wear. She, she's at certain points just, just, I guess my mom at times too, not just my wife. She makes sure that I... I do all the daily I think stuff. you look good. Thanks, I mean, somebody brought it. it up on the uh, – Everett brought it up. Just want to know if those were capri pants. They're not. They are full-length joggers. 
Joggers. Oh, I see just, the little, little yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, those are big league pants. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I mean by that is not the way they look by any stretch. Okay, <laughs> I'm talking about though. That's like all the rage right now. Joggers. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You got a pair of joggers, Tom? No, but our son got a pair, and I looked at him. He put them on, and he was getting ready to go out. And I'm like, dude, what, what is this? He says, Dad, it's what everybody's wearing now. I'm like, really? He's got his own cash. He goes out and buy him. Go buy him. God bless him. But, I mean, I mean, now I know. Your wife, no doubt, picked those out. You're, you're a runner, and you don't have any joggers? No, I have regular sweatpants. So That's when you're what we call them, like guys my age, you just call them sweatpants, but they, they're, not joggers. They're not tapered around the ankles, so they're just flapping. I don't in the want wind. anything tapered at my age. Huh. Nothing. All right. Well. No. Nothing. I'm telling you, Tom, get yourself a pair of joggers. Go out for a run. It'll it'll, it'll change your running experience. I you'll be you'll be shedding time on those miles, Tom. I'm just hoping to finish the miles. I don't care about shedding the time. Just finish. Right. You don't, you don't. Yeah, see, you, 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 how old are you? 30 what? 30. I'm 26. 26. 26. My God, we're the same age? I mean, yeah. I got you by 23 years. You'll find out that if you're going to go out on a three, th three, four mile run, whatever it might be, half a mile run, you just want to finish the half a mile run <laughs> when you're 59. You don't care about shaving off seconds. You're like a five mile guy, though, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, no problem. No don't, problem. Don't no uh, problem. Don't sell yourself short, Tom. I know. I know you running those, uh, the flying pig and everything. No, no, no? not a chance. All right. Not a chance. Uh, Casey, thank you, young man. Thank you for the teaching, Tom, today. What's that cat's name? I'll have to check up on him later. John, John Cena. Cena. Which is it, Cena or Senna? Cena. <laughs> like, you can't see me. Cena. Okay. Cena. I can't believe that. You've never even I, heard I, of I, honest Cena. to God, I have never heard that name in my life. Really? Now, it doesn't mean if, if they put up something besides that mug shot that Paul pulled up. After we found out he was in, uh, what was it? Is he Fast and Furious? No, well, the yeah, animated yeah. movie. Oh, he... Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but that's not like, that's a bad. I was the just first reading. thing out of his mouth. I mean, that you was guys the first are thing. laughing at me for not knowing who he is. And then when I say, well, what's he been in? And you're like, well, the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Well, was, hell, I can't believe I didn't thing. know that. You ever seen the movie Train? Yeah, they did a horrible job of that being was, frank of selling that. I mean, oh, that was the first you thing probably should have known John Cena. Trainwreck was, train was probably should have known John Cena, but when you threw it back to that desk over there, there was scrambled eggs all over the place. They they they, they had no idea what to come back with. None. Problem is, I wasn't. I was. I was trying to think of something that Tom would, would you know, not knowing wrestling. Like I was trying to think of something. I and knew then, some of the 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 real men. The Rowdy Roddy Pipers and the Hulk Hogan's, Andre the Giant. All the, I know all those guys. John Cena has won the most nat world championships. <laughs> okay. He passed Ric Flair. All-time world right. champions. Well, 16 I'm glad time. I know that now. 16-time. Okay. Big WWE news today, Tom. They got bought out by UFC. I don't know if you saw that. I did. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, they merged. Yeah. yeah. Dana White. Yeah. Are they going to start staging UFC fights now? I don't think so. May have to go down there. All right, boys. Casey, Paul, thank yep. you. Look forward to catching up tomorrow. Good stuff here today. Box lunch. What's on the menu here, man? Some Chatterbox Idol, Tom. You were gone when, uh, when I brought this uh, thought up the other day. I just said, would it 
Would it be possible for us to put out a link, like a job posting, and uh, just a thought or an idea? And I got the, the opinion of the chat in the room. The more we talked about it, I was like, why not? Let's do this. So uh, unbeknownst to you, we put out a job link that's uh, Cincinnati Sports Talk. And we're going to let as many people sign up over the next, um, we only got a couple more days uh, for people to sign up. And we're going to select the top either 10 or 15, haven't decided yet. And we're going to just let them come and do a show. And if we think that they're relatively decent, they'll move on to the next round. And then Fantastic. At, the, at the end of it, maybe we'll give them, I think the plan is to give them a... Uh, give them off the bench? A 30 day. Yeah, we'll give them a 30... <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll give them a 30 day little uh, internship. And we'll see how they do. Maybe, I think maybe that they, is a maybe, fantastic idea. Maybe they do so well that they stick. I think it's awesome. Great opportunity, right? There you have it. And and where do you go? Well, we're gonna post the link. Okay, uh, Casey's got there. Casey's got it. He'll he'll pin it in the chat. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I'm gonna do a little quick little hit on that. Let everybody know. We'll put it on social media. Try to get as many people to uh, jump in there. I think it's gonna be funny because I think just like American Idol, there's gonna be some people that get up here. The lights come on, and you know, people will probably have fun at their dismay. But we'll probably have a couple good ones if we're being Oh, friendly. I guarantee you. There'll be mm -hmm. quite a few good ones. I guarantee it. All right, boys. Yeah, uh, Boom Shakalaka says that's a $250,000 paid internship, right, Mr. Ballard? A couple zeros missing. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, boys. See you tomorrow. Gentlemen, it's time for Box Lunch. Here we go.